Uh, welcome back, everybody. When I started the show, I really wanted to speak to the actors who got into the business for the right reasons. They didn't get into it for fame. They got into it because they wanted to work and they loved the craft. That's why it really kind of warms my heart to welcome somebody who got into it for the right reasons and found fame along the way. Please welcome to the show, Russell Hornsby. How you doing? I'm doing very well, Russell. Thank you so much for coming into the show. I really, really appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, you know, you were a football player in high school. You, I think you auditioned for, for a spring musical. You got the part, got hooked. What, what kind of was it that said, okay, acting is going to be my thing moving forward? You know, it was just the, uh, the, the freedom of expression, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, I had, growing up, I'd always been somewhat of a ham and, you know, like to listen to music and create sort of my own videos in the mirror and, and whatnot. And um, it was just a, a, just a freedom that I had never felt before. So that uh, sort of changed my trajectory while I was in high school and just kind of kept following the yellow brick road, if you will. And, um, and so, you know, it, it, the other thing was, the reason why I decided to study okay. was because I was uh, encouraged by one of my classmates. They said that, uh, you know, what, try to decide what my major was going to be. One of my classmates, Jason Dillard, said, well, why don't you do acting? Like, that's easy. They don't do any work. And I, I was like, well, yeah, up to that point, it was easy. You know, it was just, you just get out there, you learn the lines, you have some fun. Yeah. Didn't realize, you know, upon arriving to school that you had to actually read the plays more than once and uh, phonetics, you know, learning how to break, you know, sounds and language and all of these things. Um, it's really a, uh, a literary pursuit in a lot of respects. Yeah. Um, what, did, what did your family think when you said, hey, I'm going to pursue this acting thing? My mother was, uh, she, she was... And very encouraging um, because she had told me that she wanted to kind of go into the arts herself. There's other family members on my mom's side that wanted to do it. But, you know, being black uh, in the 60s and 70s, you were more encouraged to be practical. And so my mother became a nurse. And uh, she said, you know, I'm all for it and I support you. She said, but you just can't quit. Um, you know, meaning... I think it was more of you can't quit college, you know, it was like, can't quit school. I think it was one thing to like say, I'm going to go be an actor. I think it was another to say, I'm going to go actually study, in, yeah. you know, in, at a conservatory and like try to do, you know, pursue a degree in acting, you know. I think up to that point, a lot of people had gotten bachelor's or associate's degrees and other uh, disciplines and then sort of you do acting on the side. Yeah. And I was in a full pursuit of acting uh, as a degree to get a degree out of it. Now, it's a, and you say, you know, uh, in the 60s, <clears throat> being uh, being black, it was, you know, a little more about uh, being practical. I'm, I'm white, and uh, my mm -hmm. parents told me, there's no way you're going to acting school, buddy. You're going to get a real job. You're going to be, yeah. uh, you know, a doctor, lawyer, or whatever else. And I chose, you know, I could have bumbled around and tried to find things, and uh, finally I said, screw it. I'm still doing acting. So, um, yeah, it's, it's parents are parents and, uh, they're, they're parents are parents. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have, uh, hopefully your best interest at heart and give you advice that maybe will serve you for the rest of your life. It's, it's debatable. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, uh, you, um, 
so you went to uh, to Boston University, and mm-hmm. then uh, you decided to go abroad, uh, and you studied at at Oxford. Um, mm-hmm. y- I I the more people I speak to that they have gone to uh, you know for their BFAs and MFAs, I I was not one of those as as I just mentioned. Uh, the more I hear something that uh, kind of threw me is the focus is entirely on theater. The focus is entirely on performance. And uh, I think all of the people, uh, maybe with very few exceptions, have said that there was no courses on auditioning, on what the life of an actor is actually like, how to get the roles, uh, what the set is. You know, is that what you found as well through your, you know, eight years of studying? That is what I found. Uh, you know, it was, re- it, was, it was about theater and it was about the pursuit of theater. It wasn't about the pursuit of, of, of film or, or television. Uh, and they didn't really give you much, um, uh, many classes or any, you know, uh, on auditioning or what's, whatsoever. You kind of, it was, it was on the job training, you know, and, and honestly, for me in retrospect, I mean, I wish they would have given us a few more um, tutorials on some other things, but I really believe that if you, if, if it's in you, like if you have the talent and the desire is in you to pursue it, you'll find your way. I just believe that. Like there, I, I don't, I don't believe that there's a cheat code, you know, um, it art is subjective, but you can have an objective career in a subjective industry. And I really believe that people can see, oh, you might be a little green or whatever, but there's talent there. So let me give him or her a shot. I think a lot of the other things are just cheat codes on a certain level. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and sort of to make you, to almost sometimes to make someone feel more comfortable than they should or than they would in order to sort of keep going. But I feel like if it's in you, your desire will just cause you or give you the, the, the willingness to keep, to, to pursue it, to keep going. Doors, people say, no, doors slammed in your face. You don't get the job. You say, I'm going to get right back up. I'm going to do it again. That's, that's part of the deal. I agree. I, I completely agree with that. It's just, I wish that these programs would at least give you some workshops because, you know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Eve Gordon, uh, whose, you know, first role is with Robin Williams on a movie. And uh, they tell her to, this is your mark. And she literally had to ask, what is a mark? And they thought that she was kidding. And, you know, you hear Mark speeding, you hear all these things, and people don't know what they're talking about. So instead of trying to be yourself in the moment, get in the character, <clears throat> you're figuring out what the hell are they talking about, and I don't want to be a fool. So, like, you know, at least prepare people for, uh, for what they're about to do uh, from, <clears throat> from the technical perspective. No, I, I agree. I think the issue that we're having now is that the, the process gets accelerated these days because there, there's so much content, right? I, I think the problem is that people don't have, a, have an opportunity or time or willingness to apprentice, if you will, right? Or to be mentored, right? Because you're coming out of school and kids who are 21 and 22, 23 are getting leads on shows and they're not necessarily ready, right? So they're getting thrust into the fire and people no longer have the patience that they used to have to work with you because we have to shoot it now, we have to shoot it fast, we have to get it done, turn over, turn over, turn over. I don't have time to tell you anything, I don't have time to teach you anything, you don't have time to learn. And I think so people are at a detriment that way as well because, uh, because there's so much money, because there's so many things happening, almost too much 
And I feel like that that hurts careers, but that's another story. But I think that that I wouldn't mind delving into, but I think that, that that's a problem as well. I, again, and you know, going back to football, it's the same same adage, right? We, you know, we drafted somebody in the first round, they're gonna play. There's no more sitting around for two years. Right. Somebody. Yeah, it's, it's all over, not just our industry, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, we will actually circle back to, uh, to some of the careers uh, being impacted. I do want to hear what, uh, what you have to say on it, but kind of um, staying with, with your trajectory. Mm-hmm. And your so you get out of school, you get uh, to New York, you do a lot of theater. Uh, and then at some point in time, you decide to move to LA to pursue on screen. So the question there is, you know, what made you kind of take that, uh, that choice and decide I'm going to do more on screen versus theater, which is your you know, foundation. Well, you know, I was, I was, uh, it was suggested to me that when I was graduating from BU, mm-hmm. I was going to go to Los Angeles initially. And an actor, director by the name of Ruben Santiago Hudson, uh, was doing an August Wilson play at uh, the Huntington Theater. And he recommended that I go to New York and try to do as much theater as possible. He also suggested that he said, don't run, don't run to LA. You want LA to call for you. Yeah. Right. So I ended up two years later, I ended up getting an August Wilson play uh, called Jitney. And we ended up touring that for two years. Well, the last stop was Los Angeles at the Mark Taper Forum. So, um, so I'm, I'm in Los Angeles and, you know, you're doing what young, 20-something-year-old actors do. You know, you're auditioning for everything, right? You're the new face. You're in the new show. And that was like sort of the last time where people, actors got work on TV directly from theater. Like, they cherry-picked you from the stage. Like, that's what happened. Like, we want to get actors. So let's, like, oh, what's the new play in town? Oh, they have this great young actor. Great. Let's bring them in. So I was a part of that. And I had tested for two shows. I had tested for CSI, the original. And then I had tested for this TV series uh, called Gideon's Crossing with Andre Brower and Ruben Blades. So here's the funny thing. So we had yet to go to New York to take the play to New York. Now, I'm from the theater. So they say, I know that if you do a play, but, the, but you don't bring it to New York, you didn't do it. <laughs> right? So here I am. I'm doing August Wilson who's one of my favorite playwrights, right? And so I've been traveling to this play for two years. I get the Gideon's Crossing role. They offer me money, they offer me the job, but they said, you have to quit. Yeah. So to make a long story short, they kept, I kept saying, well, I can't quit the play. And then they kept offering me more money, but they said, but you have to quit. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't quit the play. You don't understand, like I'll, I'll say no to this. Now, this is being young and 24 and idealistic and, you know, and saying, like, I am a theater actor, you know, so you have morals, right? So you're like an integrity. I'm a theater actor. So I was like, I can't quit. And they kept raising the money. I said, so what? So they, this is how they could do it, though. So they ended up giving me the job at more pay and they shot me out in four days. So from when we closed in L.A. to when we opened it, in New York, it was like two weeks. They were able to shoot me out in four days. It ended up being uh, six days, a day on the front, a day on the end, travel, all that kind of stuff like that. I was still able to, now this is a pilot, mind you. Yeah. So they wanted me to quit the play for, for the pilot. pilot. 
not even a whole series, right? Play ends up getting picked up. I find out, and then I do three months of the play in New York, which I open now. Everybody knows, everybody associates me with August Wilson. And then I leave the play and I go to LA to, to do the series. We only did one season. And so I ended up staying in LA after that. Um, but I, what I did do is pretty much every year, whether it was in New York or Los Angeles or regional, for 10 years, I ended up doing a play a year, at least one play a year for the next 10 years. So kind of kept my, keeping my feet wet. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. And it makes a lot of sense. I, you hear stories all the time. Again, I'm in the secondary market of Chicago. And Chicagoans, I'm sorry, we are a secondary market. So we, we don't have to you know, uh, pretend to be not. Um, and there are stories of you know, guys doing really well in Chicago and uh, just moving to L.A. And mm -hmm. the adage applies of, no, LA is going to come calling for you. You don't go to LA uh, to start over. So you have to get to a certain point. So I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad that worked out for you. Um, yeah. You mentioned Gideon's Crossing. It's actually interesting because, you know, looking at your career, which is awesome, by the way, looking at your career, it seems to me, and this is, this is a very subjective uh, perspective, but it seems to me like on screen, uh, the, the acting universe, if you will, put you with the right actors at the right time to kind of mm. your career. And, you know, we could be here all day talking about it, but you mentioned Andre Brower, so let's go there. You did 20 episodes on, on Gideon's Crossing. That was your first kind of uh, foray into, into television. It was drama. And you get to work with Andre Brower, who's awesome. I think that that could have been a real opportunity to uh, not just get your feet wet, but work with somebody who's already great and uh, really transition. It, it was a great opportunity and, he, and it did, you know, it was funny, Andre really, he sort of tested me, you know, when I first got there or when we first met mm -hmm. and he had, it's funny, um, he went and, you know, asked around about me okay. and he hadn't seen the, the play that I did, but his wife had seen it. So he says, so, you know, we're, we're there for the first couple of weeks. He's kind of standoffish, you know. And then he comes to me, he says, uh, I, I told my wife some of the actors I'm working with and I mentioned your name and she knew you. She said you were a theater actor and you did a play that I didn't see it. She said, she, saw, she said, you were wonderful. You were fantastic. I said, yeah, thank you. I had a good time. It was wonderful. This at the third. So from that point, like once he, like I got vetted as a theatrical. Yeah. It was like, okay, now I'll take you under my wing and I'll teach you some things because you seem to be worthy. You know what I mean? And, you know, and the thing is, you just, for me, it was, it was learning through observation. He didn't really, you know, they didn't pull me aside and say, are you watching? Are you paying attention? Did you see this? Did you see that? I just became a sponge. You know, I was the kind of uh, actor, I always got there early and I stayed late. You know, I would get there a couple scenes before it was time for me to shoot. And if I had to leave early, I would just stay behind and just watch everybody. Sit at Video Village, ask the director questions, ask other actors questions, ask other crew members questions, those kinds of things, and watch how people conduct themselves, you know, um, uh, on, on set uh, every day. And so that's how I learned, just by absorption and by uh, observing. That's, that's awesome. And again, you know, it goes back to my point. You got in this for the right reasons. And that's, that's what people do when they're in it for the right reasons. They're in it for the art they are a sponge and that's what they want to do. I, I love that. Um, yeah. 
the first project that I actually saw you in um, it, uh, was what 2002, uh, Big Fat Liar. Oh uh, yes. I still love that movie. I just rewatched it with my kids. I have a you know 16 and 11. Okay. I, I just introduced them to that movie. It's still as good as you know the first five times that I've watched that you know when I was uh, when I was younger. And there you get a chance to uh, to play with some wonderful people, including Paul Giamatti, who's you know who I truly truly enjoy. Uh, Billions, by the way, is my second you know favorite TV drama. Absolutely, show. yeah. Um, favorite of mine as well, yeah. Being being the sponge, uh, and again, Paul Paul was already you know kind of establishing himself. Mm -hmm. uh, what what were you able to uh, to pick up? And again, that was a move from drama on Gideon's to comedy in uh, Big Fat Liar. Uh, any learning experiences there? Well, you know, I mean, I, I started to learn how to not take myself so seriously. I think that you know when you come from the theater and you have this ethic of the theater and you know, I trained at Oxford and all this kind of stuff like that. You, you take yourself a little bit too seriously. And so when I got on Big Fat Liar and I'm watching Paul just be crazy and zany and whatnot, and then you're having directors tell you less, less. And you're trying to figure out what less is. But what, what I started, what I began to understand as I'm watching Paul mm -hmm. and others, I'm going, oh, let me tap back into that kid who used to be, recite The Wizard of Oz and, 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 and sing songs in the mirror, that fun side of me. Let me remember the kid that I was, you know, when I was in college having fun or, or when you're on stage during tech and you're singing songs and you're writing rhymes. That is still part of you. Don't forget that. Right. So it's not just about the to be or not to be, you know, you know what I mean? It's um, it's about maybe playing the fool, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So I was like, OK, wow, this doesn't have I can still be good and creative, but it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, deep. Do you know what I mean? Like and, and so I started to tap into that fun side of Russell, the one who likes to tell jokes and sing songs and because it's funny. Growing coming up, I was always cast as the heavy, mm -hmm. and but my friends who know me, they're like, I'm actually the crazy one in real life. Like in real life, I'm actually the one telling jokes and singing songs, telling stories. But in in work, I'm like, we need three CCs, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Da, da, da. I'm like, dude, you're always so damn serious. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, again, you know, my my experience, your experience, <clears throat> but I, I get cast in dramas all the time. Like people, that, that I, I, I'm good in dramas. I appreciate the, the attention and maybe that's my type, uh, but I'm this silly, goofy, you know, uh, weird guy that <clears throat> wants to go around and just play and have fun. Right. Yeah. I want to do more comedies. The, the most fun project I've ever had was a student film in which I played a coked up, Drug, uh, drug addict, ED spokesperson, uh, sex addict, motivational speaker. And you know, when the director came to me with that role, I said, absolutely, I wanted to play that. Because you, you can just go big and you can have fun. And that's the most fun I've ever had on the set. An ED sex addict, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this, yeah. Is the, this is the guy that's doing ED commercials and he literally says, you know, um, you know, thanks a lot, God. I have, uh, I have erectile dysfunction. 
in right. erectile dysfunction means that he cannot last for more than two hours. Wow. This is awesome. <laughs> I got to walk the whole day and we were at Cinespace where you were uh, shooting as well. Not at the same time, I don't think. Although right. we were there at 2019, this, this was 2018. So not at the same time. Um, yeah, we were 18 into next year. Yeah, so I was in Cinespace, you know, around normal actors and I was walking around dressed like an idiot with a 10-inch uh, dildo in my pants. And <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I, I'm just having fun. I don't care. This, this is great. So anyway, that, that was that role. Um, getting kind of uh, diving back into what you said in terms of careers, uh, that particular movie, I, I still... You know, I enjoy it tremendously, and then I look at Amanda and I look at Frankie, and I'm thinking, God, you know, our industry sucks and what they what it does to kids. Um, so much talent there. I, I was convinced, you know, as as Amanda was coming up, I was convinced that this girl was going to have a huge career and she would be working all the time. And dang. Well, I, I you know, I, I think you can suffer, which I'm sure they probably did, in my opinion, that you, you suffer from burnout. You know, and I think that that happens to a lot of kids. I think that happens to young people who play, who grew up playing sports, basketball, football, tennis, you know what I mean? Like all those things, when you start at a young age, I think by the time you hit 21 or 24, you suffer from burnout. And you can't, it's hard to tell people who are eating off of you that I would like to take a year or two off. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, there's there's always a carrot dangling. They're always saying, well, we have this wonderful project for you. And we have this other project for you. And eight times, nine times out of 10, it's a project that's based upon you being young and or cute, not necessarily talented in so much as to be able to show the breadth and depth of your ability or your talent. Or you haven't had an opportunity to define or find what your talent really is. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's what happens to a lot of young artists, young singers, actors, whatever it is, burnout. Makes sense, yeah. Um, again. I mean, it happens to grown people. It happens to like, you know, adults. You know, you do a series for six, seven, 10 seasons and you hear about, they fall off the face of the earth for five years and they make a comeback. They're like, what happened? Like, well, I was tired. I wanted to go, I wanted to fish for five years. Something yeah. like that, you know. And I mean, is that is that one of the reasons why uh, you know people, uh, some people, obviously not all, but some people uh, don't live in LA because they just they need to get out of the bubble and they need to you know reconnect and uh, keep things uh, more balanced. Yeah, I, I do. I think so. I think that again. I think that if you fancy yourself an artist, you realize that it's the art that moves me, not the town. And so when you're an artist, you're not looking for the next party, you're looking for the next opportunity to showcase yourself, your talent, right? And so, you know, people who were there are there to sort of, I believe, like, hustle and bustle and, you know, make deals and whatnot. Um, generally, of course, but, and so, so you're saying, well, hey, I don't need the bright lights in the big city, I can go live on a ranch. I can go live in another town or whatever. And when they call, I, I'll fly in for an audition, I'll fly in for a meeting, or now I can do a Zoom meeting or whatever. So I don't need it. And I think that people find themselves able to breathe deeper uh, when they don't live in either Los Angeles or even New York for that matter. 
you know. All right, so actors uh, move to Chicago, move to Atlanta, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of one of your options. And listen, I saw a few plays when I was in uh, in Chicago, and it's I mean, and I know I have no Chicago actors who are friends, and some some great work, some great talented people, mm -hmm. and you know, they call it the second city, but the talent is first rate. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, let's uh, let's kind of get back to that again. Subjective view of your progression as an artist. Um, get rich and uh, or die hard trying, um, or mm -hmm. die tribe, not die hard. See, it's, yeah. it's but die hard is so it's okay because I've watched it obviously a few times. Uh, get rich or die trying. You know, Terrence Howard, uh, Howard, Viola Davis, who you get a chance to uh, to work with later on as well. We'll talk. Mm -hmm. um, any any kind of acting uh, acting experiences there that you want to talk about? Well, you know, it's see, it's interesting. I feel like I've always felt that I was misunderstood as an actor coming up. I felt that I always thought that I was better than the opportunities that I was given. Hmm. I think a lot of people feel that way. So, you know, again, I come in playing a doctor, right? So every so then or then so then the, your next real opportunity is to play a police officer. So I was always play, I, you know, they always saw me as like the status quo, like because I could enunciate, because I was trained and I can say, use, I can say those big words with clarity. I didn't slur my words, all of that, right? Yeah. So they're going, okay, this is Russell. He's a handsome guy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And he can speak well and all of that. But see what people didn't understand is I had to learn to do that, right? I'm actually originally, I'm from Oakland, California. I grew up watching hip hop and Tupac. I grew up around the way, so to speak. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that around the way attitude, that's not far from who I am, right? It's in me. So when you're doing Get Richard I Trying and they're saying, we want you to play this, I go into the audition and they're like, this is something different. We didn't, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. And I and they said, well, we won't put some some gold teeth. And I said, I want to put my hair slicked back and just talk out of side of my mouth and da -da. and it was just and then and, we, and this is how I knew I had really done something. I had my scene with Fifty, and it was like a scene where I dress him down. I'm like, I get into him like, yo, mother jumper, you you know what I mean? And after the scene, he was like, yo, tell like, you yeah, that's dope, man. And he starts telling all the other actors. Because I didn't really hang with them, you know what I mean? And the other kind of other actors hung with them who were still my friends. They're like, yo, that mother jumper playing Odell, he's serious motherfucker. That's a real motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, and everybody was telling me, like, yo, 50 loves you, yo. Like, he really, so every time I run into 50 now, I still have that respect from when we worked on Get Rich. He's like, yo, you a real one. He always tells us, like, you a real one, you a real one. And so, Again, you just felt like that 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 FDA seal of approval yeah. from a quote unquote real one in fifty, and he's telling you like I believed you, like yo, like I thought you know because again, when they see me off offset, I'm I'm talking regular and hey guys, how's everybody doing? And they're like oh, you sucker, but okay. <laughs> and then when they call action, it's like boom, they're like whoa, okay, and I'm saying. I'm saying to myself, but I'm not like, what's the problem? Like, yeah. why you don't, okay, okay. I had to prove myself again. You know, that's what happens. You just gotta, 
had to keep proving myself. But it was a great opportunity, great experience. Um, I learned the one, the one, um, the one lesson I did learn on Get Rich or Die Trying was um, when they ask you a question, when the director asks you a question, lie. <laughs> Tell, tell me more uh, in, in what way. You know, it, it was basically, so I had gotten there late and a lot of the cast members were already there. Terrence hired everybody, it was already there and some other people, all the other people. And so I had read the original script. Okay. And the original script that I read was, it was great. So then they sent a rewrite. Rewrite, not so good. I didn't pay attention that the director had rewritten the new script. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so he takes me aside. I meet everybody. He takes me aside. And I'm young. This is like 2001 or something like that. Whatever it was, 2002, whatever, three, whatever it was, 2005, 2005. So he says, Jim said, so, you got a guys. He says, so, what do you think of the script? I said, you know, it's okay, but the original one was better. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. He proceeds to basically cut me out of the film. <laughs> like literally, there is a scene when we're at the cemetery. I do the whole scene with my back to the camera and I'm talking sideways. He directed me to do that. Like, and I'm talking sideways. And then he would, they called me to set, to do a scene. I went all day, all night. Oh, we're not gonna use you in this scene. And like, I mean, I was cut I, I was in like six or seven scenes. I ended up being in like two, three. And I realized, you talk too much. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm being an artist. I'm like, well, yeah, you know what I mean? You asked me a question. I think this is better and I, you know, learned a big, huge lesson, huge lesson. Thank you for that. I'll, I'll make sure to remember it now uh, moving forward. <laughs> yeah. You know, now it's like, if you're not a producer, if you, you're just an actor, say the lines, kid. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're there to do your job and nothing that. Okay. Gotcha. Um, in, uh, in 2011, um, I think kind of, you know, from 2011 onwards, uh, again, subjectively speaking, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, you're at your kind of next level. You know, you're doing grim and you were there for a long time, obviously. And then in 2011, you actually got into my other top five uh, show, which is uh, Suits. And I, it was a very memorable, uh, you know, episode to me. You know, mm -hmm. obviously you get to work with <clears throat> with Gina Torres and Gabriel Mack. And yes. they're, they're awesome. But that was a very memorable uh, episode. And I didn't even have to kind of look things up. I remember it. You know, <clears throat> all I have to all I have to think is, you know, Quentin. OK, I remember. I remember yeah. because it, it uh, I don't know if I cried the first time I saw it, but I remember it. that that yeah. kind of hit my gut. Um, what uh, what was your recollection of, of Suits and kind of uh, that uh, specific episode? You know, you're, you're asking yourself, how are you going to approach yeah. these pivotal scenes? You know what I mean? And what are you going to do? And again, this is where the theater training comes in because up to that point, 
when you've been in class, when you've been do on stage, you're doing, you're, you've lived out all these different kinds of characters in these different kinds of situations, you know what I mean? But, but, but more importantly, you've allowed your imagination to blossom, yeah. right? So now when, you, when, you, when you're watching certain people, when you, how you observe people, how you observe people with ailments, with disabilities, you observe them differently, right? So, so you start to ask yourself as a human being, how would that feel if that were laid upon me? Do you know what I mean? And so you just take a leap. And, and, and see, this is what I was saying, Alan, when I said, I thought I, was, thought I was better than people fancied me or people gave me credit for. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those opportunities where you get a chance to show part of what you can do with humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Someone with an ailment, someone with a sickness, someone with a certain possible disease or whatever, um, with, with, you can show that with humanity. And that's a part of the artist that you are, that shows your capability. And when the director says, wow, thank you, we don't need to do that again. It's great, we're good. And literally mean it, you knew you've touched on something and it was, it affected people. Again, that's me, that's me being able to show my talent, but also my humanity. That's, that's awesome. Um, did that, <clears throat> again, you, you were on Grimm uh, for, for a while after that and you continued doing some projects. Did, you know, was any of that pivotal? Did people see, oh, okay, he can do more or still, you know, you're kind of uh, pigeonholed a bit? No, you're still pigeonholed, you know what I mean? Because it, it didn't, it, 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 it didn't, you know, sweep across the landscape for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and even with Grimm, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, like I was like, up until Grimm, I had thought, like I finished uh, doing the fences in 2010, I get Grimm in 2011. Mm -hmm. I didn't work for almost nine months prior to Grimm. Okay. So I thought my career was over. Do you know what I mean? Like I was 36 or 37 years old at the time. This is like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Like I, I had, because I had never gone longer than a couple of months without employment. So here I am three, six, nine months with no job. I'm going, wow, is it over? And so when I got grim, there was a desperation to it that I didn't realize was on me. And I was, I was just happy to be working up to that point. So then, so, you know, so, for the, so you're talking about where, the, where people saw me, the first three or four seasons of Grimm, I was happy. After season three, going to season four, I was done with it. Because it honestly, it felt like a purgatory. Because again, now I'm saying, I'm better than this. I'm, a t I'm an actor, like, okay, you're going around, flashing your badge, shooting the bad guy reciting lines i was grateful for it it was fantastic but i'm saying i'm an artist yeah. i have to show what i can do then certain things shifted and that's when it happened do you you know what i mean like that's yeah. when the tide shifted because i remember and uh, again you know kind of doing my prep um i i have not watched grip so i'm not i'm not pretending mm -hmm. uh, oh no no it's okay yeah but i remember watching your interviews and um, you know, every time you're at Comic-Con or somewhere and you're talking about Graham, I remember that kind of you're answering the questions, but you could see that you're not excited. 
And uh, I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder why that is. Now, now I know. Yeah, you know, um, because I'm saying to myself, this can't be it. Yeah. You know what I mean? The money's great. I'm on TV every week. That's great. But this can't be it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've watched, you know, I, I have dreams. I have aspirations. I have, you know, I have more to give. I have more talent. I didn't go to school to just say he went that way or, you know, you know, just the facts, man. I just didn't do it. And so, you know, and, and also, you know, it's like, I also felt like, you know, you know, you go, you go to comic cons and stuff like that. Like it's a, it's a trade show. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, we're bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's watch this clip and, Oh, no, 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 we, we can tell you, but we can't really tell you. You have to wait to, you have to, wait to tune in. Mm-hmm. And I used to get mad. I'm like, we got to give these people more than this. Yeah. I don't know. That was just, you know, and I just didn't, I didn't like what it, you know, it's, it's like everything became, you know what it is? This is what I'm saying. It's like Comic-Con and all these, they became launch parties instead of really something for the fans. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I felt like we were cheating people. And I didn't, it just didn't sit well with me after a while. Do you know what I mean? Like, you bring the new Superman movie to Comic-Con. You Then you bring a drama to Comic-Con. Like, now it's not even, these aren't even based on comics. They're just a drama. We're going to bring said drama to Comic-Con with no flying people, no spaceships, no squirt guns. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What is this now? Mm-hmm. And so it, you kind of get you get, get disillusioned, just kind of like, yeah. ah, I want to, you know, I know this commerce, but I'm saying there's got to be more. Please tell me there's more. Yeah. Well, you got to do more, and you got to do fences with Mr. Denzel Washington. Uh, um, did you get a chance to uh, to kind of? feel what you wanted to feel and to show your ability and to really kind of take a bite out of something? I did. And, you know, we did the play first in 2010 mm-hmm. and then we do the movie in 2016. And let me tell you something, like, I felt like I had arrived, like being called and asked to do it and them having, and still not necessarily being a name necessarily. I think that because I did Broadway and because I was still on TV, mm-hmm. it helped. Because I do believe that if I wasn't on Grimm at that time, they probably would have gotten somebody else. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. Okay. But but I'm working with Denzel, I'm working with Viola on, on, in the movies. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll never forget, this is the one takeaway. I learned how to be an actor again on that set. On that, on that set. Because I had come, because remember I said to you, that I felt like I had something to prove, I had something to offer. Mm-hmm. So I had come to the film just energized and ready to prove something. And when I, and I had forgotten the first lesson in acting, which is to listen and react. And the last scene, in the, in the, the last scene that I'm in, I just wasn't hitting it. With that, with you know, I mean, you know, and, and you can kind of feel it, and it's like you know, you can feel it in the on in the set. Everybody's like, and Denzel's like, hey, let's try this, let's try that. But the one thing he told me, he said, 
don't don't come don't come with a result he said you're here for him your brother you're here to help him so everything you've lived your life you've everything that you've done has happened now whatever you have to say is to help him and it just changed everything and i listened took the note and we we did it again and i hit it and he said yes and I remember, and I just, and I was reminded of how to act again. And that, from that point on, I I've become a different actor, which means I'm here to give, not to take. I'm here to give of myself. You know what I mean? I'm here to offer something, not to take anything, not to take the scene or take the moment. I'm here to be in it, give what I can, be happy with whatever the result is, and the main thing is to be honest and truthful. If you're honest and truthful in the moment, this is what I learned, you don't need to worry about, let me look at the playback. Let me see how I look on the screen. If it was honest and truthful, I don't need another take, I'm done, move on. And that, by the way, again, in my opinion, is what they mean by do less uh, because it's not about you doing it. It's about you being there and being there for, uh, for your scene partner. Yeah. And I had forgotten that. And, he, and Denzel, he just reminded me of that. And I'll never forget it. I, I just, I'm in his debt for, forever for just for that. And not, not only just the opportunity itself, but just yeah. the lesson, you know. Thank you. Uh, thanks for reminding me too. It's again, for me, the, the mental switch was when I started uh, learning Meisner because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so analytical, I'm so in my head, and I'm a writer, so I, you know, tend to overanalyze things and tend to see, okay, this is where it's going, and I need to hit this, and I need to hit that. As soon as I got out of my head, and as soon as I just, you know, focused on the person, that's it. I, I don't need yeah. to do anything. I can just be and relax, and uh, then your imagination comes out, and you can play. And that's you, right. You know, you're everything is new and fresh instead of pre-planned. I, I became a different person after it, so. No, it's a big difference. Yeah. Um, lastly, let's, uh, in terms of projects, we have more questions, but lastly, let's talk about uh, The Hate You Give. Um, you know, Regina Hall, obviously, Anthony Mackie, Common, you know, a ton of people. As a matter of fact, Dominique, uh, uh, Dominique is, is she's, uh, she agreed to do the show, so she's going to be, you know, coming on sometime soon. She's wonderful. She um, is. That movie, I mean, uh, you know, you being a dad already and, uh, you know, talking about just from the pure acting stuff. I mean, that's, that's a lot to dig into. Um, yeah. You know, it, you know, the, the, there's a saying, they say Shakespeare says, um, above all the text is sacred. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be on the page first and foremost. I, I, I can't get blood from a turnip or blood from a stone. And so the book, First of all, when you're dealing with the hate you give as a, as a novel, as a story, it was so powerful. And then uh, with Audrey Wells, May She Rest in Peace, was able to transcribe uh, into a screenplay. And again, another time when people still saw me as doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, if you will, right? Not understanding that I could still be that around the way guy. You know what I mean? And so again, being able to be culturally specific, 
but with a clean sense of humanity as well. So it's not about, oh, this is a father who's a, who's a Black Panther. No, this is a father who loves his family, loves his wife, loves his children, and wants to raise his child family, children and wants to protect his family. And, and just the core values, right? And that's what I tapped into, is just that honesty and that truth and that, that, that willingness and that need to express myself as a father who has a, just, a, just a desire to love and, and raise his children, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in the circumstances of the film and the story being something that I had lived, that I had experienced, mm-hmm. and being a big fan of Tupac, Tupac raising me, all of those being a part of it, um, it was just, it was palpable. It was, it was just, it, it, it just, it was, there was just a heartbeat to it, you know? You could feel every aspect of it. And again, like I said, Alan, I, you know, I, I, I consider myself an actor who is truthful. That's it. I mean, I, you know, it's like, that's how I live in my life. That's how I conduct myself and just by telling the truth. I, I try, I can't either, what do they say? You can't lie in life and tell the truth on stage. Yeah. Right? So you have to be honest about who you are and in being honest about who you are, you have to know who you are. So if you know who you are, then the character that I take on or the roles that I portray, they're gonna be steeped in a depth of truth. And, what, and, and see, again, that's what attracts people. That's what attracts audiences. Yeah. It's the truth that they see, that they're witnessing. They're going, like, wow. Like, and I think that's what people I think took, we're, we're able to grab a hold of with the story, but also with the character, is that this is just, I love Maverick because he was just, tell, he was just honest. Yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, there's a part of me that obviously wishes that that movie was not so prophetic, um, you know, with all the things that happened uh, kind of uh, since then. Mm-hmm brought up uh, and kind of kind of came back again and again because of what was going on? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I was telling people, I've said in, in interviews, it never, it, it's never not been here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we, it's just, when do we choose to sort of reveal it or, you know, put a, put a camera on it or what have you? Um, we have always had those issues here in America and many more and others, but so now we've chose to shine a light on it. And I think, but again, Alan, if I may, it's about the humanity in man, the humanity of a person that I think audiences were able, that were able to move people in audiences. It's like, it's not that black lives matter, it's that black life matters in its totality that we're bearing witness to. And so people are forced to like, look at it and go, I never understood that aspect of black life. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not lives that are just being, you know, held up at gunpoint or being strangled by a police officer. We're now talking about life in its totality. So it'd be uh, a mother and a father and, and with, with a wife, a husband and kids and children. How do they raise their children, black life? How do they educate their children, black life? 
that they live in these communities that they, they want their children to be protected. They want to feed them. They want to clothe them. This is life, mm -hmm. not just lives in this in, in, encapsulated, you know what I mean, in this moment. Let's look at Black life in its totality. And I think that affects people differently when they see that. Because in all other instances, we look at life in its totality, right? We're forced to look at it or we see life. And I think what we're seeing now that we hadn't seen in the past was just that. It is, let's look at black life. That's why when you look at like offenses, it's black life. You see what I'm saying? So in its, in its totality, it's in its humanity, in its minutia, the grace notes, the little things, right? that show to people we're all the same, right? And I, I, I used to always say too, if I may, I'll just say this. Yeah. We, when I was a younger, we used to walk around with t-shirts saying, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand, right? When I was in high school, my religion teacher, Mr. Harper, he used to say, gentlemen, I have to disagree with you with that statement. It's not, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. I think that it, it's, it should be, it's a black thing. Let me help you understand. Yeah. And that's what we're starting to do. It's, it's true. And again, being an immigrant, uh, I came here when I was 14. I came from a homogenous society in, uh, in the former Soviet Union. You know, it has its own problems, has a ton of discrimination. You know, they, uh, people always find ways to discriminate against each other. Absolutely. But... I, I've never, I, because of not growing up uh, and, you know, coming from a family that is not discriminatory, you know, to me, coming into America was a very different experience because, like, why do we care that somebody is, is a different color? I mean, what, what's, mm -hmm. the, what's the problem? I, I don't understand. And I still right. don't. But um, to me, and I was talking to Malachi Weir, uh, who's, uh, who's on Billions, who's a wonderful human being and an actor, and he was saying, it's, it's not about the differences, it's about the similarities. And we all have a story and a lot of our stories are, are the same. And it's about making sure that people understand it. It has nothing to do with uh, you know, what we're singling out. Let's find the commonalities and make sure people understand it so we can be more, you know, more together on this. So mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, getting getting kind of uh, back on a, on a lighter note, if you will. But um, I love when the acting universe kind of uh, you know it it taketh, but then it giveth uh, giveth back. And twenty years later, you finally get a chance to work with Sliced Alone, you know, as as opposed to Copland, which uh, which was an uh, <laughs> right unfortunate <laughs> experience. But you finally get a chance to work with Sly and you know Michael B. Obviously, and a ton of mm -hmm. amazing actors there. So um, did, did you feel that the universe finally said, okay, here you go. Okay, we robbed you the first time. Here's, here's the reward 20 years later. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a greater reward. You know what I mean? Um, to be part of that universe, that, yeah. you know, that Rocky Creed universe uh, is a blessing. You know what I mean? And, you know, you're hoping that they call you back for Creed 3, you know. But, you know, I mean, it's... It, what, what happens is you're ended up, you, you get the opportunity to sort of look behind the veil, see behind the curtain, yeah. see again, you know, how the game is played and how the sausage gets made, you know? Um, and, you know, again, you know, that's another project that I was happy to be a part of, 
but now having being a little bit more savvy and more experienced, you know, when they cut you out of scenes, you don't take it personally anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you just kind of say, okay, this is what I'm here to do. I'll do it. And then when you see the fit, oh, okay, well, that's life, you know? Um, and you take it in stride, you know? And, uh, but it was still fun. It was fun to work with Michael B. It was fun to work with Sly, fun to meet everybody. And, and just honestly, like, it was great to work on a film again, you know? It was like, um, you know, I haven't done too many films compared to television. Mm -hmm. And television moves at such a fast pace, you really don't get an opportunity to enjoy the work you're doing or to enjoy the time. Like television is really like the industry. It's really like work. It's like show up, punch in, punch out, go home. You know, where film is like, okay, here we are. We let's, let's shoot these five eighths of a page today. And let's maybe block for the other pages tomorrow. Wow. And we'll see what happens. Like it was like, wow, this is the dining room. I've been eating in the kitchen for the last ten years. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's awesome, and I'll go back to it in a second. But I, you know, in terms of being cut out, I remember uh, Laura uh, Cayoet, who uh, who was in Tarantino's uh, films and uh, Django with uh, with everybody, uh -huh. and she's like, listen, what what you don't understand is that I've seen things on a cutting room floor with Sam that I thought were Oscar worthy and they were cut out. She said, the things that get cut out, you just, you never know. And you, never you know. don't know why they're done. You just, you have to let it go. You do, you really do. And, and I think that becomes with age and maturity. Yeah. Um, you know? Okay. So I, I remember you talking about uh, kind of feeling uh, yourself as a fanboy in some of your projects. Um, I, I get giddy all the time, you know, talking to you and talking to other people who I, you know, I have been watching. And there's, there's a part of me that, um, you know, is the fanboy, and then it gets really kind of pushed, uh, pushed back. I'm a professional. I'm here to do a job. And then later it kicks, it kicks back in again. What, what is it like for you? Again, you know, I know Regina Hall was one of your examples of, you know, Sly or Rocky, as, as you were calling him. Now, what, what do you do as an actor knowing that, I'm a professional, but I'm still this, you know, I'm still this guy and I'm giddy about who I get to work with. What, what, what do you do with that? I honestly, Alan, like I never, I, I, I never had that, that feeling, that, that okay. fan feeling, quite honestly, yeah. it was really about, because here's the thing, again, I always, I always fancied myself worthy. Do you know what I mean? I always, said, I am worthy of working with Andre Brower. I am worthy of working opposite Gabriel Byrne. I'm talented enough. I'm worthy of working opposite Denzel and Viola. And so I respect them. You know what I mean? Like I want to work because I want to be tested. I want to work with the best. I'm saying like, I've gone to theater, I've been on stages and I've been on screen and I've honed my skills and my craft. I am prepared. And so I, think the best that you can do is to show that you're worthy when you arrive, to show that you're prepared, you're on time, and you're ready to, you know, hit your lines, or you're ready to volley and play, and like, let's do it. Because I think the best thing you can do is walk away having their respect yeah. for whomever you're working opposite, um, you know, star or not, you know, 
And, and because I want people, when my name comes up, I want people to associate it with someone who's talented, someone who's respectful, someone who's good, and someone who is always prepared, you know? And so I never felt that I had an opportunity time to sort of be a fan because by the time you get to a point where you're here, you're in it. Yeah. Like I like who taught me that was Billy D. This is this is what had happened, honestly. Mm-hmm. Billy D. Williams played my father on Gideon's Crossing, right? My mother was a huge fan of Billy D. Williams. So she came to set, you know, one time when he was playing and she got a picture with him and everything like that. And Billy D. Williams said, Hey man, you're you're a good actor, you're talented. He said, you know, you're doing it. You know what I mean? And I I was playing coy. I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm just here. I'm just trying to do my best. And he said, he said, shut up. He said, nobody wants to hear that. He said, you're here now. You're one of us. He said, you know, he, he said, like, so like own it. Own the position you're in. Own it. You know what I mean? Don't be scared. Be respectful. But you're here now. You're one of us. And so like, I guess. So that was the moment where I was like, I stopped being a fan, if you will, because I had Billy D. Williams tell me, cut the shit, mm-hmm. cut the coy, you know, oh, I'm humbled, I'm so humble. He's like, you're, that's, you're full of shit. You're good enough, you're talented, and you're here. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. So own the space. And so I guess over time, I internalized that of just saying, I don't have time to be a fan. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm working with Gabriel Byrne in the morning. I gotta go. I gotta be ready. You know what I mean? Oh, Miller's Crossing. I love it. Usual suspects. I don't know. What was it like? Hey, man, you're fucking lying. Let's go. <laughs> so, that's what it is. And I think that we're talking about. I think that was the moment. You know, that was the moment that kind of prepared me to just say, because he, you know, he wouldn't let me be coy. Or play coy, you know what I mean? And so I don't, I, I can't. That's great, and thank you. Um, I'm gonna take that to heart. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the lightning round. Um, yeah, you've you've been on a lot of projects, uh, you know, on film, uh, on stage, uh, and I guess let's focus on screen now for this uh, for this question. But um, what if you had to pick one <laughs> out of the many? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite one that stands out saying, ooh, that's, that's the one. I think the, my favorite one is probably, is probably the hate you give. And I think it's more because of I real, my, my, my impact on the younger actors. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it felt like just yesterday, I was young blood. You know what I mean? Like yesterday, I was the one coming in. Everybody's 20 years my senior. And then literally overnight, I'm the elder statesman. Like I'm the older guy. I'm the vet. And like I had to, and I had to adapt to that quickly and realize and take the focus off of myself and prepare in a different way that said, I have to come to work now ready to offer something to these young people versus looking for validation for myself, the way you kind of used to as a young actor, like, how was that? Was it good? Did you like it? Did I succeed? 
did I do that? And I couldn't do that anymore. I had to know, I had to be able to sort of have a third eye of my own work and go, the truth, I told the truth, I'm ready to move on. And be able to look at the younger actors and say, hey, think about this next time. Or whisper uh, an objective a thought in their head and say, hey, let's, let's think about this. And just work with them, work with Amanda, Amanda Lestenberg, work with Lamar Johnson, uh, work with Algie Smith and give them food for thought. And I think that was why that was my favorite because in that I realized I am now the veteran. I am now the elder statesman. And I, and I, and I owned it, you know what I mean? And, and I love, I enjoy now being the mentor. You know, I enjoy that because I was mentored myself in a great way. So, you know, I, I, I take it on as it's a rites of passage now. Like I'm Yoda in training, if you will, or Obi-Wan, you know what I mean? I mean, not to self-aggrandize, but you know what I mean? Like I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jedi, but I'm waiting to be Jedi master or whatever the hell you want to call Yoda. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not Luke Skywalker, but I'm not Yoda yet. Well, you, you got the spot on the council, so you're, you're there. Yeah, there you go. I'm, uh, I'm on the council. I'm not leading it, but I'm on it. All right. And, and, you know. and if you were on the council and your lightsaber would be of what color? Blue. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Um, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you on the set? Wow, the weirdest thing. I, I think it, it's, it's uh, wow, what project? Weirdest thing. I mean, it's so, it's hard to, it's hard to pick one. It's like, um, well, a set, I think, well, what happened one time, I, um, wow, weird. No, nothing. Okay, it doesn't have to be. Just... You know, I mean, honestly, like, Nothing really, it's like, you know, you forget a line or a door doesn't open or something like that. I mean, that's all it's been, you know, it's interesting because I had to approach, I approached the work so like, I never allowed myself to like have fun until recently, you know what I mean? So it was like, cause it was, I was so business minded about it. Um, but like, you know, you're, but more on stage when like you go and open a door and a door doesn't open, you have to find another way to get on stage, you know what I mean? There's things of that, like that have happened where people drop lines and you have to like sort of vamp for, you know, a couple lines to get you back. Like those things. And those are the fun things to make sure that like, like you're on it. And, um, and it happens on, on screen, but you can always say cut, you know? Uh, and, I, and I always approach, my whole thing is to never try to say cut. So like there, there are times when like another actor, I'm working opposite an actor and it's covered just my coverage and like they might be standing in front of the camera so i'm not i'm not the, i don't get distracted so i'm not the kind of actor who goes okay you're in my light i go i just move over or literally i'll be like i'll be like i'll say something that'll go i'll just like move them out of the way and then we'll keep going <laughs> it's those kind of things because i don't want to waste the take and i'm saying I'm always the kind of actress that stay in the moment. Something could something could happen in this moment. Yeah. You may not use it, they might, but let's see what happens. Because there's, there's always cut. There's always take two or take five or whatever. Yep. Um, so out of all of the incredible actors that you get a chance to work with, if you had to pick one, and in terms of pure acting stuff, 
who would be the one that you would single out as the best actor you've ever got a chance to work with? I'm going to have to say, we know him because we've seen him on Fences, but Stephen McKinley Henderson, who played Bono on Fences opposite Denzel. Because I worked with him on stage and I did, I was able to do, I believe, three different, four different plays with him. Three different, four different plays. And the man, he is a craftsperson hmm. in every sense of the word. And he, I know, I, and like, this is where, again, we're talking about mentorship. And I was able to watch, see, again, when you, when you read the script hmm. and you say to yourself, you're reading certain things, you're going, that's interesting. And you watch somebody on stage pull just amazing stuff using the words that you read. And you're going, how did they find that? Or certain gestures that they found to accent a word or a phrase or a line and how to underplay, overplay, how to land on it. I'm like, this man is amazing. This is a craftsman. And so what he challenged me to do, unbeknownst to him, was to literally, what I call woodshed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I worked with him on stage, I worked with him on screen, and I just, I woodshed, because of Steven Henderson, like, I, I, w- I went back and I started working harder on the material. I, I, ne- I stopped, like, I used to, you know, like, because I fancy myself such a, an actor, a stage actor, when I got TV, I didn't always, I didn't, you know, TV wasn't, it wasn't theater. Yeah. It was TV, you know. But he got me to start taking everything seriously. Every job you get, approach it with a, a fervor and a passion. Because I would watch him make so much out of little things, just minute details. And he would always say, there's always more. You know what I mean? And so Stephen McKinley Henderson, like he was, he, he was, one, of, he was one of the best. He's unsung, but he's, he's one of the best that I've ever seen. And um, it was just an honor and a pleasure and a joy to work with him because he took the craft so seriously. And, you know, he's one of those people too, like, this is another reason why you talk about mentorship why it's so important is because it's all the, the things that happen off stage or off screen or between or after cut and before action. It's like, you know, the stories that they tell, you know, that's a part of the lesson. And I think that that is what I feel like a lot of younger people don't get mm-hmm. are the stories, are the stories about what happened when, being on the road, the, the tour stories, all of that stuff the mistakes that they made, right? Um, what do they say? Uh, uh, a, a smart person learns from the mistakes of others, a fool learns from his own, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And so hearing the stories, yeah. just, it, it, it raised me, it helped, you know, it helped educate me in a way that I don't think a lot of young people get these days. Because, see, here's the, here's the thing where I learned early on to shut up and listen. Right, it was like, there's that thing of, when I was a kid, like they tell you, your parents used to tell you, be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. You learn more, right? So I would literally sit, I sit, like, it was like from like 15 years. So you're talking basically 
from 98 to 2013 or 2010, 2011, like, I just listened. You know, I didn't really voice my opinion too much. I didn't really, I didn't put myself out there and make grand pronouncements and I believe this. I just listened and just listen how people, because they used to say like, once you, once you voice your opinion or once you make a, a grand pronouncement or once you fancy yourself an adult, let's just say, right? You can't go back. It's like that whole thing of when you leave home, you can't come back, right? Like, it's not the same, you know what I mean? Like, the moment you tell your parents, I'm an adult now, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they say, mama don't like to see you coming, but she will take you in. Yeah. So that's the same thing about once you, once you saying, as an actor, as an artist, like, here I am, hear me roar. Well, you can't go back to being a little kid, like, throw, deck me. No. So I chose to just listen. And that's why I gained a lot of wisdom from those elders, from those sitting at the knee of the elders, just like hearing them tell their stories. And I learned so much, I experienced so much because I, I, saw, I saw the mistakes that they made and, and everything. And, but being with Steve and a lot of the theater actors, those are some of the greatest moments that I had because we're not in the limelight. So you're able to actually make mistakes in anonymity, right? Well, now, yep. you know, so I know better. And I try to pass it on to the youth and they think I'm crazy. And I go, I understand. You have to say that because, you know, I'm an old, I'm older as, as far as you're concerned. I don't know nothing. It's a new day. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, you're not old, by the way. I, I in one of right, right. Yeah, you're you're you you're older than I am, and I don't think I'm I'm old at all. There you um, go. And in one of your interviews, what I found just just precious is is a beautiful woman who was interviewing you, and you were talking about you know Michael B. Uh, being bended steel, and you were the older statement saying, "All right, fine, yeah, you you got it." And she's like, "Oh, come on, you still look good for your age." I'm like, "Oh God." Why do you say that? Still look good for your age. You don't say that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Stop there. That's it. Yeah, that's it. No, yeah. and, and that's the thing. You think you're young until you meet younger. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and that was the lesson. I was like, oh, I don't, I, I'm not in my 20s or 30s. I, you can't walk around with no shirt on anymore. Yeah. No matter how good you look. Like, once you hit 40, yeah. I just believe this. Like. Men shouldn't walk around, men shouldn't walk around with no shirt and women should not walk around with a midriff showing. I don't care. Like, honestly, like, unless you're at the gym, like, working out, you know, other than that, like, put some clothes on, like, modesty. Yeah. Like, you're some, you're a grown woman, like, you ain't got to like, and, and what do they say? Uh, we want to, what is it? Uh, I want to, uh, let, keep me guessing. Hmm? Yeah. I want to dream. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to uh, uh, guess what's under that dress or that shirt or whatever. You know what I mean? You're over 40. It's like, listen, lady, it's over. You know what I mean? Like now, now you're staying in shape for you. Yeah. Yeah. Even for me, like I'm not, I, I'm married. Mm -hmm. I got two kids. 
Yep. I'm staying in shape for me. So you can, you don't go around with no shirt on, walking around like this and hey, all that kind of stuff because you're married. Guys do that because they're trying to get a girl, trying to get a guy, whatever it is. You're looking for somebody. Hey, it's like it's over. <laughs> well, T Terry Cruz will disagree with you on that, but Terry works out every single damn day of his life. Well, there's a difference though, because that he's getting paid. That's true. That's true. So you know, if you're getting paid to show your biceps, triceps, and delta, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. You know what I mean? If they if they're pay, if they're paying me to walk around with no shirt on, well, you know, hey. All right, that's fine. There's a, there's a, there's a path of gold at the end of that rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so many jokes, but we're we're gonna move on. Um, what's, what's the most fun hustle, the actor hustle job that you ever had? Oh man, I was, I just do telemarketing and, uh, and you know, you do those things where you like surveys Yeah. and I couldn't stand the job. It was boring as a mother jumper, but what I, we used to do to get surveys is I would work on my dialects. Yeah. And so I would call different regions and use, you know, you know, uh, a mid, you know, hello, uh, you use a Southern dialect. Hi, my name is Russell. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm calling from New, New York. I just want to see if I can talk to the man or the woman of the house and see how they're doing all kinds of questions and uh, talk with a standard, uh, standard English uh, tone. Hi, my name is Russell Hornsby. You know, try to sound all uh, mm -hmm. profound and deep and resonant and whatnot. And then, you know, um, but the one that used to get them was that British accent. Oh, because everybody thinks, everybody thinks, you know, Brits are so, uh, so proper, you know what I mean? So, you know, you say, um, um, good evening, love. Uh, my name is Russell Hornsby. I'm calling to uh, sort of ask you a few questions about banana boat um, uh, products. Um, do you use um, sunscreen? Uh, what uh, PF do you use and what things like that, you know? Would it be possible if I could just hold, have you hold for a brief moment and let you talk to my supervisor? Oh, it was a, such a lovely to, to speak with you. Thank you so much. You know, you do all that stuff. And they, you, I'd have them on the phone for hours to the point where all the other people would come around me and I'd be just talking like, you know, and it's sort of this and sort of that and sort of that and sort of this. And, you know, and it, it, would you mind if I ask you just a few more questions? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'd be ringing them up, ringing them up. You know, it was great. And, uh, and then one time I, I used to dress up as a, I dressed up one, one, one holiday season as a pilgrim, as Santa Claus, and as teddy bears. Oh, my gosh. So I used to go around, you know, it was like a self, when cell phones were starting to come out. And I would walk around, I had a pilgrim suit on, you know, mm -hmm. doing stuff for cell phones. I'd walk around with a Santa Claus suit. And then I would go to uh, just like a teddy bear. And then I would go to those, um, what do they call those? Remember, they, they have like uh, corporate industrials. Yeah. Where you go up and you do like, um, you'd reenact, uh, you know, um, things of like, you know, uh, what happens in the workplace, like sexual harassment in the workplace and yeah. do's and don'ts and stuff. So you have to dress up in a suit. This is before they put them on, on TV or on film. Yeah. So you had to dress up in a suit, you'd reenact them. So I would go and do that, but I was still broke. So I knew all of the places, all of the things, and I, I do them so much that the security guards knew me. So 
I was, me and my roommate at the time, we were hungry, we were broke. Yeah. So I put on my suit, have a little cake, little bag, and I go around to all the locations, like five or six locations, and get the bagels, get the sweet rolls, get the milk, get the juice, get yeah. the soda, mm-hmm. and just pack my bag. Go, hey, Ross, hey, Jimmy, you here for another one? Yeah, what floor is it again? Oh, 21, go up to 21. Because you knew they all started at 10 a.m., so you get to like 9.30, 9.35, you know what I'm saying? Or they, Or you knew that every morning they'd have breakfast for you know people you know what i mean and this is before 9-11 so you didn't have to have a badge you know thing you just walk in there hair be all coiffed nice suit on hey and i come home with the bounty hey man we eat for days then we freeze bagels we put them in the freezer and save them (laughs) awesome you you gotta do what you gotta do gotta do what you gotta do it was great uh, what's what's one thing most people do not know about you? I think they're learning now, but I, that I'm funny, that I have a sense of humor, that I'm actually I'm actually more I'm more silly than I am serious. Hmm. You know, um, yeah, like my friends, like my friends' friends, like they know that I'm crazy. I'm always telling jokes and saying off, making off-color comments, and you know, things of that nature. Um, and so I think a lot of people are they're getting to learn now because I'm doing more interviews, but more that I'm just I'm I'm wild and crazy. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I say uh I mean I say crazy stuff to my wife and she's just like, you know, and, and especially if I've imbibed a little bit, had a couple pops, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I'm a I'm a jolly drunk. So when I'm drinking, I'm I'm telling jokes, I'm singing, you know what I mean? You yeah. know, hey, you know what I mean? Looking at my wife like, hey, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's like, stop it. I said, not yet. <laughs> so, um, and I like to, because, you know, I'm learning that it, it life's supposed to be fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if, you know, if you do right by yourself and right by others, life can be fun. You know what I mean? And it should be. You know, yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to say things that you shouldn't have said. But as long as you don't lie to people, you don't cheat them at anything, you don't steal from them, you don't abuse people, um, you know, life is life. Like, so, you, you know, you, and you, you learn to forgive yourself, right? So, like, like, again, I'll say some random crazy things. And a couple days later, I'll be like, I said that. And I'll, I'll call people up and be like, hey, man, I shouldn't have. And they're like, what are you crazy? That was funny as shit. You, we had a ball. My wife thought you were great. My cousins, my uncle, they, we, oh, oh man, I'm so okay. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, you're great. You're fine. But there's no malicious intent in any of it. It's just really about because you, you know, you work hard. We work hard. We live, you know, in a such a way where we have to work hard and we have to take care of our family, take care of our business, our kids, everything like that. But you're saying it doesn't have to be that deep. It's not that deep. You know what I mean? Like, it really ain't that deep. So let's not make it deep. You know what I mean? Like, man, have fun. And I'm learning that. Like, you know, as long as you have your health, your kids are fine, they're healthy, your wife's smiling. That's what my uncle always says. He says, hey, man, make sure your wife is smiling. Your wife is smiling. Everything's okay. She ain't smiling. You got problems. You know what I mean? So keep the smile on her face. So... And that's, you know, so like, I just try to like, 
I try to I take care of business. I'm serious about like life and working hard and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm like, hey man, like I tell people, I'm making a living doing what I love to do. Like I haven't, I don't know what a, I don't, I don't know what a job resume would look. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know what a resume. I, I couldn't, I couldn't make a resume. Do you know what I mean? Like, like so, what's not to love? What's there to, what's there to be mad about? Like, why are you mad? You know what I mean? So I just, I, I really, I believe that wholeheartedly. Like, come on, guys. Yes. Come on. You know, I mean, even now, like, it sounds cliche, but man, and I was saying this before the pandemic hit, your health is everything. I was telling people, like, I used to say this, like, I've been saying this for like five years, like, your health, 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 health. Yeah. So if you have your health, you get up in the morning, your kids are healthy, they're breathing. We can figure everything else out, man. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know, you know what I mean? Everything else will work itself out. You got your health, you're all right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, most of us don't realize that uh, or don't realize how true it is until something goes wrong. And then we, we figure it out. So yeah. And then we, yeah, you know, I mean, and so... You know, especially now, you got to find reasons to smile. You got to find reasons to laugh. You know what I mean? Like, you know, listen, we're going to get frustrated. We're going to get upset. We're going to get mad every once in a while. You just, it's human nature. You and your wife are going to argue. You know what I mean? You're going to say something that's just not a, just, to, but we can come back from that and we can still laugh. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, Unless you, unless somebody, you know, hurt you or treated, mistreated you, everything else is forgivable. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just really is. So uh, I don't even, I don't even know if I answered your question or not, but I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, you did. And it's an important one to have because again, like uh, I'm, I'm a happy go lucky, you know, look at uh, the positive side of life type of guy, but it's been difficult to do that. And I have to constantly go back and say, all right, so yeah, I know what's happening out there. I know uh, I'm upset about that, but let's let's focus on on what's actually important in my life right now. So right. it's it's an important reminder. I'm I'm glad you mentioned it. And and I'll just say one other thing for me. It's, it's like yeah. I think you have to forgive yourself. So I think also, you know, we talk about it's okay to not feel good for a day or two. Like to say to yourself to forgive yourself and just say, I don't have it today yeah. versus trying to mask it. And I, like, I, like I was saying to, um, this is an interview or uh, Zoom like, like three or four months ago, whatever, when we just kind of first started mm -hmm. and everybody was saying like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not doing well, yeah. but, I, but I, I can, but I, I'll, I can fake it for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, I have to have for my kids. Yeah. Everybody else, you're gonna get. You're gonna get the truth. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <clears throat> yeah, it goes to the you know, life is beautiful movie. It's, you, you, yeah, you know, so, you know. Hey, daddy, how are we doing today? Great. <laughs> Great, son. Come here, give me a hug. Give me a kiss. What? See, the problem with that theory, and you, you have younger kids, so it's still right. like, 
with, with my kids, they're on the internet. You know, my son wants to know everything. He's, he's about to turn 11. I, I, I can't turn off uh, all of his electronics. He's going to yeah. know. And then he's going to ask. And then I'm trying to be careful and trying to be objective and trying to kind of educate. Uh, I, I don't want uh, him to have an opinion and then taking him years until he develops his own real opinion. I want whatever thing I tell him to be in as objective way as possible. So he, yes. you know, he kind of uh, grows up on his own accord without me telling him. Because again, I, I, you know, I'm of Jewish heritage. I'm not religious, but you know, from the time I was a kid, I grew up hearing, hey, you're bad because you're a Jew. I'm like, where are people mm. getting this? And they're getting it from their parents uh, to the kids and the kids don't know what they're talking about, but they're just repeating. So I right. learned very early um, on that I will never, uh, or I will try to never program my kids. I will, you know, guide them. I will answer questions and I'll be as objective as possible, but they need to grow up on their own accord. Absolutely. I'm trying to practice that myself, me and my wife and I. It's, uh, yeah. it's challenging. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. All right. Last question. So you being the elder statesman, which is funny to me because, you know, we're about the same age. Uh, you being that mentor, if you had a chance to talk to young Russ, and uh, who's just starting out, who just came back uh, from Oxford and saying, Russ, you know, this is one bit of acting advice that you need to have. What would that be? Um, acting advice. Mm -hmm. I, would, I, would, I would tell, you know, the one thing I would tell young, I would tell young Russell is um, party less. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what I would, that's what I, yeah, party, I, party less. There, there, there will always be another party, you know what I mean? And I think that, you know, everything turned out great, but you, you realize you lose, you lose some time, you lose, you know, there's, there's, a, there's study that just didn't get met. There's books that didn't get read, um, research that didn't get done because you you know you fancied yourself having fun and that's great but i wish i would have taken it more serious earlier that's that's what i would tell take it take it do do the work now you know what i mean uh do more work now and you'll be doing a lot less later and uh yeah you know because now you got kids there's a ton of books i want to read uh, oh, i got uh, uh, I'll get to it when I when my kids get older. Listen, if if there's one you know silver lining to uh, to COVID times is that you you have a little bit more time on your hands, so hopefully you get a chance to read some. Well, my kids are five and three, so you have no chance to read. I get it. I got no, yeah, <laughs> I got another three years before it's like get off the internet. <laughs> yeah. Now, now for, for me, it's easier. Absolutely. My daughter just yeah. wants to be driven somewhere and to hang out with her friends. And my son wants to go to the basement and play Fortnite. And I have time to do this. So yeah. But, right. You know what I mean? And that's, and it's like, so yeah, no, but I mean, but no, there will be time and you know, but yeah, you know, I mean, and I think that, uh, yeah, man, like, cause it's, cause the acting itself, the acting part, it's, it's not the actual work that I would tell. It's all the stuff that you do, the preparation you do outside that I think is what we need mentorship for. 
Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like the acting part of it is really what's inside you and comes from your just talent level and your experience. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can't get better than, than your experience. Like you, you, everybody grows at a certain pace or you peak at a certain point. That's what it is. You know what I mean? But it's like, how do we, how do we come to the moment? How do we arrive at the, at the moment? How do we arrive at to the set? How do we get there? How do we get to the theater? What is our preparation the night before, our preparation the day, the morning of? It's, it's all of those things. And, you know, I didn't always prepare properly. <laughs> there you go. You want to be young. You, you want people to think you're, you're this, uh, you know, uh, funny, uh, silly guy. And there you go, going back to seriousness again. You're, you're trying to, you're, you're kind of. No, that's, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I had fun. That's what I'm saying. Like I was, you know, but you know, you get there, you're a little, you're fortunately, I'm, gra I'm glad I'm 27. <laughs> it won't work now. Okay. Yeah, 26 and 46. There's a reason that that 20 years is, does something to you. I think so. Uh, well, then, uh, really, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for you uh, to come on and to share your wisdom. Uh, there are many things that I personally have taken away from it. And oh, I, right on. Yeah, I know that uh, I will take that, uh, that forward. I know people who are watching this are going to take it as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks to everybody for watching. We really appreciate it. We know you love acting as much as we do, and that's why we do this. Thank you. I appreciate it. I like it. Thank you.